When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome, folks. This is the More Money Show. I am Steve Moore. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, This is the More Money Show, and I am always so privileged and honored to be able to speak to you every Saturday afternoon uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. And we have great ratings, so I'm just really, really appreciative of those who are regular listeners. If you're a new listener, I hope you will uh, keep tuning in. We talk about money. We talk about finance. We talk a little bit of politics. We try to make it as fun as possible. This is an hour that zooms by, so uh, so stay tuned. I want to start uh, today's conversation by talking about what is going on in Washington. And I know that most of our listeners, or at least a lot of the listeners of this show, are Republicans. I'm a Republican. I was honored to have worked for both Ronald Reagan and uh, Donald J. Trump. But I'm here this afternoon to tell you that I am angry. I am uh, angry as a hornet right now about what Republicans are doing in Washington in this last one or two weeks of this year. Republicans didn't have a great election, but they did win control of the House of Representatives. In January, the Republicans will take over that majority and they will pry that uh, gavel out of the hands of Nancy Pelosi. That will be a very happy day for me. But Republicans are spending money like drunken sailors right now. And I've been very critical on this show of the Democrats, of Pelosi, of Chucky Schumer, of Joe Biden, and they've spent us into oblivion with $4.5 trillion of spending above the normal amount we spend, which is going to bankrupt this country if we allow it to continue. It's the reason we have, as those of you who are regular listeners of this show, you know that there is a direct connection between the massive spending that Biden and Pelosi and Schumer have done and the inflation that reached 9 percent is still over 7 percent in this country. And when you look at groceries and other types of things, inflation is really a lot higher than that. And so um, the job number one going forward for this country in terms of policy is, in my opinion, to start radically cutting government spending. The government is too large and the private sector is too small. When the government spends more and more and more money, it just makes businesses smaller. It reduces your income. Like the government doesn't produce anything, right? All it does is collect money from you and spend it on the things it wants to. At best, it just redistributes the income. But other than some things like building roads and other things, most of what the government does is just redistributing income. And that is not an economic strategy for economic growth. And so we have to bring spending down so our businesses can do better, so families can do better. Um, And yet, here we are. It's only been a couple of weeks since the election when Republicans promised to restore fiscal sanity in Washington. And what are they doing? 
Well, the first thing the Republicans did when they learned that they had finally won the House, when we finally realized they would have 222 seats, they had a vote in the Republican House caucus the day later after they learned they would be in the majority. And you know what those scoundrels did? They said, we're going to bring back earmarks. Now, what's an earmark? An earmark is a slice of bacon for their district. It's bringing home the bacon. It's Does anybody remember, I'm sure a lot of my listeners do, the bridge to nowhere in Alaska where we spent $300 million on a bridge in Alaska for like 50 people? And everybody was outraged by that. And, and back in the era when Newt Gingrich became Speaker of the House, we actually started getting rid of earmarks. And Republicans said, we're not going to do earmarks anymore. And my friend Tom Coburn, the late great senator from Oklahoma, who was one of the real fiscal conservatives we had, used to say, earmarks are the gateway drug to trillion-dollar spending bills. And he was right about that. And so when you, what the Congress does <coughs> excuse me, what the Congress does when they get uh, these trillion-dollar bills and they're trying to get the last few votes they need for these incredibly obese, incredibly financially reckless bills is they buy off the final votes with these earmarks. Oh, we'll, we'll bring a, a – we'll buy a – Fire truck for your local district. We'll buy a. We'll build a courthouse. We'll have a railroad station. All of these kinds of things. Uh, we'll build a wastewater treatment plant in your district. Well, by the way, the only reason the federal government can take get build a wastewater treatment in your district is to take the money from your district in the first place. So, it's just a a, a game of uh, you know, take the money and then give it back. And so this has meant that we are now in a situation where the Republicans are able to be bought off. And that's exactly what's happening right now. They are talking about a $1.7 trillion end-of-the-year spending bill that is very much in the in the vein of what Nancy Pelosi and Chucky Schumer and uh, and Joe Biden want. They're, they're grinning like Cheshire cats right now. They love life. They can't believe the Republicans are giving them this blank check. Why are they? Why are they? We need all hands on deck, folks. Contact your congressman. Contact your senator. Contact anybody you know that is in Congress whose vote can be uh, influenced and tell them the last thing America needs right now is another you know, trillion-dollar spending spree by Washington. These people are drunken fools. I, I mean, we're playing right into the hands of our enemies, China, Russia, Iran, all these countries are seeing what we're doing in terms of our financial policies. By the way, who do you think owns a lot of this debt? China does. So the more the more we borrow, the more we're indebted. I should say our kids will be indebted to the Chinese children. And I believe that our children will curse us for what we are doing to this great country if we continue on this path. Republicans are as bad as Democrats sometimes when it comes to playing Santa Claus. And that is what's happening in Washington right now. And we need outraged taxpayers. If you agree with me that this is a complete scandal, what's happening in Washington, tell them to stop spending. No. You know what they call these bills? They call it an omnibus, an omnibus spending bill. I call it omnibusted because this is going to bust our country. It's going to bust the bank. Uh, we need to cut one trillion dollars from the at least one trillion from the four trillion dollars that was added to the budget. 
They don't want to do it. The Republicans don't want to do it. Now, I'll tell you one more thing that's going on. I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal, I believe it was on Tuesday, saying, hey, Republicans don't really need to do anything, and we can get $130 billion of savings right off the top. You know what they have to do? Just not waive the budget rules, their own budget rules, their own guardrails. Just live within the guardrails. This would force automatic spending cuts of $130 billion. Now, that's a baby step. That's a baby step. We're talking about a budget that's $6 trillion. So $130 billion is loose change. It's the change in the, that you find in the sofa. And they won't even cut that. And by the way, there's nothing that, uh, that Pelosi or Schumer or Biden can do to stop it. All you need is 41 Republicans in the Senate to say, no, we're not going to suspend the rules. We're going to live within the rules we established. And we're going to have to cut $130 billion. That's maybe cutting every program has to cut one or two pennies from every dollar they spend. And they won't do that. So if they're not going to spend $130 billion right now that's already baked in the cake of the budget, why would we think that next year they're going to cut the budget or the year after that? Uh, we are on a fiscal – we are on a train that is going over a fiscal cliff. And instead of slowing it down, what's happening – and it's bipartisan. That's the point, folks. I, I know I'm tough on Democrats on this show, but this show is about criticizing the Republicans. They are going to take over control of the House in uh, I think the first or second week of January. So why don't they wait until they have control and then they can pass their own budget? We're playing right into the hands of the big spenders. Okay, one last thing. I'm running out of time here. You can tell I'm a little angry this morning. I know this is a week before Christmas. I, and by the way, Merry Christmas to everyone. But here's the here's the other thing that's going on. One of the reasons they want to do this massive omnibus spending bill is because Richard Shelby, who is the uh, – is the leading Republican on the Senate Appropriations Committee, and he's been in, in the Senate for about as long as I've been alive. I'm exaggerating a little bit, at least 30 years. He's retiring, and as a going-away president, a retirement president for Richard Shelby, they're passing this trillion-and-a-half-dollar spending bill. I mean, why don't they just give him a gold watch? Why don't they just give, build him a bronze statue? That would be one 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 hundredth as expensive as what we're spending. You can't make this stuff up, folks. I mean, I don't know if I should be laughing or crying. Um, now is not that we we need Santa Claus, but we don't need Congress to be Santa Claus. That's my message today. Hold on, folks. We'll be right back. This is the More Money Show. This is WABC, and I want to say it again. I hope everybody is going to have a very merry Christmas and a happy holidays. It's right upon us. This week that's coming up is the best week of the year your health is important your sexual health is very important and like everything else it has challenges as many as 50 percent of men over 50 have sexual related difficulties like ed low testosterone and low energy that's where they come in elevate wellness has real professional and in-person solutions call 973-354-2276 973-354-2276 or visit elevatewellnessgroup.com and get back to where it started office visits only 99 dollars this month. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on Talk Radio WABC. Now we get to our most important segment of the day, which is what the heck is going on in these financial markets? Uh, we have two in the best of uh, in the business, of course, with uh, Bob Payne and Ryan Payne. Ryan, you and I were on Fox Business with M Maria Bartiroma on Friday, so we talked a little bit about this to the Fox audience, but I really want to probe a little deeper about what is happening. I have, I have to say, as an economist, I'm quite confused about where this economy <laughs> is headed. We had 
a lousy week on the stock market. But when you and I were talking after the show, I asked you buy the dip and you kind of nodded your head. So what do you think? Um, yeah, no, I think, Steve, I think the bottom line is not much has really changed. Um, I think, number one, we kind of know what the Fed policy was going to be before the meeting. Right. And I think that what's remarkable is the 10-year Treasury has been coming mm-hmm. down. So interest rates are coming down as the Fed is still raising interest rates. And what I've been saying is, do you trust the Fed or do you trust the interest rate market? And I would right. say the bond market is much smarter than the Fed. So I, I think even though the Fed is talking tough here, I think the reality of it is we're seeing inflation come down, right? You know, gasoline prices have come down precipitously. Right. Housing market's cooling. You don't need a weatherman, like I said, to know which way the wind blows. And I think it is inflation's coming down and the bond market's telling you that. And I would argue that's, that's actually a very positive sign going into next year. Yeah, no, I, just to amplify that point, when, they, when the Fed raises interest rates, what that is hopefully doing is reducing inflationary expectations in the future. And when that bond rate falls, that's exactly what, in my opinion, is it's measuring is that uh, the expectation that inflation will persist at 7% uh, is the expectation is that that inflation rate will fall. So I agree with you. We did get some lousy retail numbers for uh, the month of November at the start of the Christmas season. Bob, is are we reading too much into that? Yeah, I think we are, Steve, because, you know, the, the consumer is actually in very, very good shape. Now, there's been a lot of attention paid to, you know, credit card debt's been going up. But meanwhile, you know, we have a lot of cash on the sidelines, a lot of cash in the account. And, and you know, uh-huh. we're looking at wages starting to go up. Um, and you, you have to watch and see what's happening in the rest of the economy. For instance, oil's been coming down since June. Right. And when uh-huh. you have oil drop, that, that impacts everything. So the cost That's of right. everything is coming down. So, and you, and you looked at the CPI number last week, it's, it's headed in the right direction. Now, you might say, wow, Bob, it's still a 7% area, but, you know, they wanted to get to two, but, you, get, you know, in a, in a journey, you have to take that first step. And that first step started a couple of months ago, and every month it's been coming down. And you anticipate that that will continue in 2023? Yeah, I do see that. And I, I think that's the, the big boon for all of you as investors is that the bond market really hasn't offered much in terms of return. Actually, it's the worst year the bond market's had since I've been advising people for almost 50 years. Bonds are a great (laughs) buy right now, and yields are very attractive, and you're seeing bond yields come down. The bond market's been going up every week for the last two or three months. Now, Bob, come on. You're not all that old. You haven't been doing this for 50 years, have you? <laughs> yeah, I have. Unfortunately, I started back in, in downtown Philadelphia, Steve, in 1975. So, well, you know, but that's an important year. point. Yeah, but that's an important point because and and you're a little older than me, but not much. And, and uh, Ryan, of course, is just a babe <laughs> compared to you yeah. and I. But, you know, you and I hey. are old enough to remember uh, the, the inflation of the 70s and the you know, the really negative impact it had on the economy back then and on the stock market. And so what you're so what's keeping me up at night, Bob, is my concern that, hey, are we at the beginning of a, you know, a 10 year bear market like we had in the 70s? And you're saying no. Well, you know, I'm saying yes and no. Uh, First of all, Steve, when we went through that hyperinflation period. Yeah, uh, Mm -hmm. I know. I remember when the money market fund was yielding 20 percent because inflation was 18%, right? And we have 7% mm-hmm. inflation right now, but the money market right. yields only 3 So it's very different, right. right? We're not seeing interest rates skyrocket to keep up with inflation. So the market's telling you that this inflation is actually transitory, that it's not going to be long-term, um, that it's going to come down. But we are so, in a bear market when it comes to tech 
and excess speculation right. that was in things like crypto and disruptive technologies, right. that's dead money. And it's not going to come back for a long time. You know, this is the yeah, so, market that, uh, that we call revenge of the nerds. When uh, Ryan, when you and I were on uh, Maria's show on uh, Friday, uh, they showed a graphic that showed that the uh, NASDAQ in the last year is down. I think the number was I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was about 30 percent, whereas the Dow and the S&P were down by uh, roughly 10 percent. So the question then becomes, is now an opportunity to buy some of these tech stocks or what what industries do you like? Yeah, I mean, I think you always have a tech allocation because you never know. But I think if history (laughs) teaches us anything, um, you know, when tech goes out of favor, it can go out of favor for a very long time. And you look at when the tech bubble burst back in 2000, you know, it took it in the year 2015 to break even on the NASDAQ. That's a long time um, in anyone's investment life. So I think what you're seeing this year is a a major rotation in the markets because, to your point, the the NASDAQ's down Mm -hmm. 30%, but the Dow's only down like 7 or 8%. And that's because the Dow has very little tech exposure. And in fact, if you Uh look at sector by sector, um, you're starting to see a lot of sectors almost go positive um, for the year already. Consumer staples are almost positive. Utilities are slightly positive for the year. We know energy stocks are way up. Um, And we know the foreign markets look like they have basically bottomed out. So, you know, even though we're seeing a sell-off this week, the bigger picture is, in fact, the Dow's up close to 15% since the bottom in October. Right is we're really starting to see a lot of sectors move higher, um, almost positive for the year. So without, you know, we get through all the volatility, things are starting to creep up and go higher, which says to me, as an investor, you want to participate in all those different areas of the market. And I can tell you, Steve, we look at like 50 portfolios a month. Uh Most of you aren't allocated correctly. You you don't have that other exposure and you really want to have it here. So uh, what, what in particular do you like? Uh, I mean, I'm worried about housing because uh, the housing numbers have not been very good lately. And some people think we might be into a, into a sort of secular bear market in the housing area. But what what uh, shines the most right now? Where are the best opportunities? Well, you know, the, the, we believe in, in diversification, Steve, and that's like the most right. overused word in financial <laughs> right. services. Um, well, a lot of times when you watch these news channels, they talk about diversification is, is owning different stocks in the S&P 500. We believe in global diversification. We think there's phenomenal mm-hmm. opportunity right now in, in Europe, in Japan, in China, in Latin America. These stocks are very cheap. The dividend yields are much higher than our, what we have in our country. And those stocks are actually going up right now. So I think that's an area that a lot of you don't have money that they really you should consider getting you know, a, at least a part of your portfolio you know, diversified outside the U.S., so we've just got about a minute or two left. It's just a question for the two of you in parting is, uh, I guess what you're kind of saying is that we're going to have a happy new year in stocks uh, after this lousy year that we've just had. Is that a, a fair uh, analysis of where you think things are headed? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think next year is the year of relief, right? This year was uh-huh. the year of, the, of high, you know, high inflation, the Fed tightening. Um, but now we're starting to see the, the first inklings of easing uh, and interest rates. And I think next year, by the end of the year, you know, if the economy really is slowing, which I think it is to some extent, is the Fed could actually be lowering interest rates, Steve. Well, how about that? That could be one of the biggest surprises we see next year. So, yeah, I think next year you got to be optimistic going into it. And I think financial conditions are starting to loosen. You know, Steve, as we talked about, I've been around a long time and I, I'm a big history historian of the markets. And when we talk about the markets, we're not just talking about stocks. We also talk about bonds, commodities. 
And a balanced portfolio is going to be down this year. It's very, it's never been in history, almost never in history, where you have two consecutive years of a balanced portfolio being negative. I like those odds. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should take advantage of the opportunities the markets present right now. Well, that's awesome. It's, it's, uh, we're not getting a bah humbug. (laughs) <laughs> analysis from <laughs> you two gentlemen. So thank you for cheering me up. Uh, been talking to Bob and Ryan Payne, two of the best in the business in terms of managing people's money. And so uh, remind people in as we exit uh, how they can get your consultation service. Yep. We keep 10 slots open through the whole show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, Bob and I will run our total financial master plan. We'll do that. With no obligation or cost. You just have to call or text at 844 844- Seven five two six six nine two. That's eight four four seven five two six six nine two. We keep ten slots open. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, awesome, great job, folks. Uh, great job, Ryan uh, and Bob Payne. And we will be right back. This is the More Money Show on Talk Radio WABC. Talk Radio seventy seven WABC. And if you're thinking to yourself right now. You need a game plan. You know what you're doing, given how uncertain the markets are today. Well, here's your shot to get that game plan. We literally keep 10 slots open for the whole show. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement plan, Bob and I will run for your total financial master plan, and we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review where we literally look at everything. In fact, we go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal to get a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we're just going to hone in on every issue you need to address today. Do you have an income plan for retirement? How are you going to draw from your portfolio? How do you take social security? How do you factor in inflation is going to double over your lifetime? Well, we put together a full income game plan show you so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life factoring in inflation. And we're going to look at diversification. Are you getting hit hard this year? Markets have been extremely volatile. Or have you been sitting in cash, earning nothing on your money, paralysis by analysis, while inflation right now is at a 40-year high. We're going to put together a full investment game plan, show you how to invest your money, grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell you high-cost products, have high fees, and are extremely tax inefficient. We're going to go through every investment you own on those annuities, insurance products, mutual funds, brokerage products. We're going to show you how to reduce all the costs on your portfolio, especially those hidden costs, and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We're going to give you our full tax playbook. We literally have 10 slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement plan. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next 10 callers, you saved over a million dollars for your retirement Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own unique total financial master plan. Now, there's no cost. There's no obligation, but you'll still be without a plan if you don't text or call right now. 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. So, Bob, you know at our firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. Um, we focus solely on financial planning. We're always thinking about exactly how people should allocate their portfolio in relationship to their goals. And, you know, I thought what we could discuss today is, well, this holiday season's upon us. 
what if we had financial stocking stuffers? And if I was to put these different investments, let's say, into your stocking, your proverbial stocking, is this something you would actually want in your stocking? Or is this something that like you just shouldn't have uh, when it comes to your financial plan? And the first one that gets pitched all the time that every right retiree gets made to believe they need to own is what if you had an annuity, Bob, in your stocking? Yeah, like anything else, Ry, there's no good or so bad. There's only what's appropriate. And a lot of times, since there's billions of dollars sold in annuities every year, you've got to decide, do I have an annuity that was sold to me or is that something I bought on my own? You know, what are the, what are the issues with that? Well, first off, most annuities, I'm going to say, are probably sold, not bought, right? I mean, you usually get these wild explanations why it's like the safest, best thing in the world. And they throw out numbers like you'll get a 6% return, 7% return. And it sounds so good. And you think, man, how can I lose with this? But when you start reading the fine print and you start really figuring out how these things work, a lot of times they're not as good a deal as, well, maybe you were pitched when you actually bought that product. You know, exactly right. It's almost as if if somebody called you to sell you an annuity, you probably have what I call the bad kind. You know, the kind with the high embedded fees. They can be three to four to five percent. And a lot of times, unless you read that that little encyclopedia prospectus they give you, you don't realize exactly how much that cost is. So you may be lucky, you may have a low cost annuity, but then again you have other issues, right? You have illiquidity, right? If you have an emergency, you can only get ten percent of your money. Um, and you have performance issues, right? I've never seen an annuity outperform anything. Well, that's because a lot of times the fees inside are so high and it's so important that if you do have an annuity, you really got to understand what the fees are. And I got to tell you, most of them are hidden and need a black belt in financial uh, planning sometimes to figure out where those fees actually are. So you really got to do your homework. Um, and the other issue too, Bob, is a lot of times you get the, the pitches, it's income for life. And I would say, who doesn't want income for life? That's amazing. But it's the same amount of income year after year once you turn that annuity on. And the problem is your expenses are going to go up over time because of inflation. And most annuities don't address that issue because it's not just about having income today. you got to factor in having income five years from now, 10 years from now. And because the cost of living is going up, that means you need more and more income every single year that you're in retirement. You know, I had a great question from a client the other day who was sold an annuity. And I said, Bob, I don't understand. Why would someone take my after-tax dollars, put it into an investment, for now I'm generating income that's, again, being taxed? Why do I want to be taxed twice? Why did I pay for the opportunity to gift the government you know, this extra income? Yeah, and this is why you really have to do your homework or get a specialist or somebody who knows what they're talking about because these annuities can be very, very complicated. Bob, what if you, know, you woke up on said, Christmas? Rye, what's a good way? I'm oh, sorry, good. I, I was going to let me jump in. Three, two. So, Rye, if income tax by the IRS is bad, what's a good way to get tax free income? Well, Bobby, I would love to wake up on Christmas morning if I have one financial instrument in my stocking. It'd probably be a tax free municipal bond. And with interest rates going up, man, oh, man, they're actually a pretty good deal right now. Yeah, they really are. And it's, uh, it's nice that. You can have income that's tax-free on a federal level, but also if you invest in municipal bonds in the state you live in, you got income that's tax-free on a state level. And when you look at the interest rates on municipal bonds and the interest that they're yielding right now, and you factor in those taxes, it's like getting a 40 50% better yield than you can in a taxable CD or a, or a, or a treasury. 
yeah, if you're in a high tax bracket in the New York area, I mean, in some cases, that's like getting 6% on your money with very little risk. Because if you get an A-rated or a high-quality bond that comes due in the future, you know, it definitely takes the risk characteristics down. So, I mean, obviously, as part of a benchmark, let me say it again, I, you know, it's important as a as a solid part of your financial plan is to have safe investments that pay income and municipal bonds right now are probably more attractive than they've been in like 10 years, over a decade. And you know, the other thing I like about bonds, right, they're kind of like, you know, your savings account, right? In other words, they, they do have a little volatility, right? They go up and down with interest rates and price, but you actually earn income every day that's yours that you get to keep no matter how long you keep the bond. Uh, so I think that in terms of having an investment that's working hard for you every day without partnership with the U.S. government or the state of New York or, or the state you live in, municipal bonds be a great thing to find in your stocking. So, Bob, I'm curious. What if you woke up on Christmas morning and you checked your stocking and you had a big bar of gold in there? How do you feel about that? First of all, Rye, I think I'd find my stocking on the floor because gold is really hard and heavy and would pull that stocking right off the mantle. But here's the thing. I, you know, gold's pretty. It's something that looks really good around the neck or the, or the wrist of the one you love. But it's an investment. It's really a horrible investment. You know, you can't eat it. You can't carry it around. It's too heavy. It doesn't pay any dividend. You got to you got to store it, which costs a lot of money. And then if you sell it, the government taxes at a higher rate than it would, you know, another investment like a uh, a bond or a stock. And contrary to what all those marketers tell you on TV, it's not a great inflation hedge. In fact, if you look at the price of gold today, in inflation adjusted terms, is back to the price it was in 1980. So, you know, it's it's maybe it was a great inflation hedge in the 70s, but overall, it isn't a great inflation hedge long term, which is actually something you never hear about. You always hear about how it's supposed to be this great inflation hedge. But if you look at the statistics, that's not necessarily true. So, Rye, if you looked in your stocking stuffer uh, on Christmas Day and you found an S&P 500 index fund, how would you feel about that? I wouldn't feel that great because the problem with the S&P 500, it's not that diversified. I know it sounds like you have 500 stocks in there, but the reality of it is it's weighted heavily to technology communication services, and consumer discretionary, which is basically your big mega cap tech stocks, which is great, except that those stocks aren't doing very great this year, Bob. So if you want to properly diversify your money, you got to be careful. Owning the S&P 500 actually doesn't cut it because it's so skewed to just a couple sectors. And really, you want to own a lot of sectors in your portfolio if you're building it for retirement. You know, right, that's why investing is so hard. You don't know what you don't know, right? You look at past performances, hey, the S&P 500 has been a great index to own over the last 10 years. But the previous 10 years, it had a 0% return. You know, these advertisers forget to tell you that. So it's all about achieving your goals, not about picking the right stock or bond. It's about being diversified, having growth and income in your portfolio. Because you know what? After all said and done, living in retirement with money you can't outlive is really the goal, right? Having that portfolio that uh, will be there longer after you're gone. Yeah, it's all about keeping it simple. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, this is the game plan I need. I need to figure out what my asset mix is. I need to figure out that I have an income plan that is going to outlive me in retirement. Well, here's your shot to do it. We're down to five slots. If you saved over a million dollars for retirement, Bob and I will run for your now famous total financial master plan. And we will do it with no obligation or cost. There's no other firm out there that will do this work up front. We go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal. So we can get a bird's eye view of your entire financial picture. And we're just going to hone in on every issue you need to address today that you can't procrastinate on. You need an income plan. 
What is your income plan for retirement? How are you going to draw from your portfolio? How do you take Social Security? How do you factor in that your costs are going to double over the next 20 years because of inflation? We're going to put together a full dynamic income plan so you don't run out of money over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at diversification. It's been a volatile year in the stock market. Did you get hit hard? Did you take more risk than you thought you were taking? Or are you sitting in cash, earning nothing on your money, while inflation now is at a 40-year high, paralysis by analysis? We're going to put together a full investment game plan. We're going to show you how to grow your money over time, but most importantly, protect it. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street just loves to sell products and those annuities, insurance products, mutual funds, brokerage products that have high fees that are hidden and very tax inefficient. We're going to do a deep dive of every investment you own, show you how to reduce all those hidden costs in your portfolio and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make, it's what you take. We are going to give you our full tax playbook so that you can optimize for taxes. We literally have five slots left if you've saved over a million dollars for retirement. Claim one of those five spots. All you have to do is text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. If you're one of our next five callers, you've saved over a million dollars for your retirement. Our team of financial advisors and certified financial planners will help you to create your own total financial master plan. Now, there's no obligation. There's no cost. But there won't be a plan if you don't text or call 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, if you want to learn more about myself and Bob and our boutique firm, Payne Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, simply go to bbullish.com. That's bbullish.com. You can learn more about our firm. Check out our podcast. Stay tuned. We got more. More money. This is more money. If you're suffering from ED, you're not alone. 60% of men over 60 have this problem. Help is out there. The professionals at Elevate Wellness can help you be the man you used to be. They've helped thousands of patients and have a 96% success rate. What are you waiting for? Call 973-354-2276. 973-354-2276. Your first visit is only $99. ElevateWellnessGroup.com. Help is out there. ElevateWellnessGroup.com. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in these United States. And I'm very privileged to have as my next guest, David Bonson. David's a good friend, but he's also one of the smartest financial analysts in the country. And David is um, the founder and managing partner of the Bonson Group. He has over $4 billion under management. And one of my favorite things that David has done is he was written a book called There's No Such Thing as a Free Lunch. And I love that book. It's a, By the way, it's an actually an excellent last-minute Christmas present. It's a great stocking stuffer. All sorts of really great economic sayings and lessons in that book. So, David... Uh, Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. 
Well, Merry Christmas, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. So let's get right to it. A lot of people lost a lot of money this last week, including myself, <laughs> with this crazy stock market. The market's now down. I was looking at these numbers. Um, now, the year isn't over yet, but right now it looks like the NASDAQ's down by more than 30%. Dow and S&P down roughly 10 to 15%. Um, what do you think caused this big sell-off that happened in, in the uh, on Thursday and Friday? Yeah, so basically the Dow's down 10 on the year, the S&P's down 20 on the year, the Nasdaq's down 30 on the okay. year, and, it, and actually the Nasdaq's down even a little more than that. Yeah. So it's, it, it's kind of a real proportional move as each index's risk profile goes up. The returns have been lower. Uh, you know, the, the, the all three markets are actually up quite a bit this quarter, yes. um, but they've given some of that back this week. Um, and you know what's interesting is you were up 500 points in the market on Monday, and then the market in the, uh, when the CPI number came out was up over 800 points. Mm-hmm. It ended up that day only up 100. So it gave back 700. Mm-hmm. Then it has gone down about 1,000 points since the Fed's announcement. And so if you go from how good things were mm-hmm. to where they are, it's given back, you know, 1,800 points. It, we're just stuck in a trading range here, Steve, and we've been there for a while. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, we're going to be here for a while more. And it, and it is not merely because of everything is bad or we're going into recession or Biden's terrible or Powell is terrible. All those things can be true or not true. But the, the reality is the market is just very unlikely to have another decade like it did last decade. And I think that um, that's the byproduct of a boom-bust cycle that this Fed has us in. Is Now we all think it's terrible when the market's down a couple thousand points, but you know we don't think anything of it when it's up a couple thousand. Mm. I, I want the Fed out of the market. I, yeah. I want the Fed as a lender of last resort, having very little to do with the business cycle. And we rely on the Fed to boom up the asset prices in our economy. It's not good. Yeah, I, the way I put it is that Wall Street has kind of been become addicted to this cheap money, and they don't like it when uh, when Jerome Powell takes the punch ball away. But the thing that I thought found curious uh, about what happened this week is after the uh, Fed's announcement, you know, which was pretty expected. I mean, I thought it was kind of priced into the market already that they were going to have this 50 basis point increase. And yet you saw, you know, a pretty a pretty dramatic fall after that. What what, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, well, actually, if I thought it was only about the Fed raising rates 50 basis points, I, I'd be pretty confused. But it didn't go down after that announcement. It went down the next day. Why is that? And you had a, you had a couple hours afterwards where yeah. – you know, it kind of bounced around yeah, a bit. Right. And, and I, Did something I happen? Did something happen, uh, you know, after the Fed made its announcement that might have reversed the course? I think in your very initial couple hours, this is something your and mine's mutual friend Judy Shelton talks about a lot. Uh-huh. Um, you get all the people who were front-running the Fed have to get kind of washed out. So you get this financialization where people are not investing into productive economic activity. <laughs> right. Right. They're, they're investing into trying to guess what other people right. are going to guess. Right. And so that kind of gets traded out in the first few hours. And then the next day, what happened is Europe followed suit. I think that, that that's the problem in this sort of currency war is Europe can't afford to manage their own monetary policy because the dollar strengthens too much and the mm-hmm. euro weakens right. too much. Right. 
So they end up having to go tighter than they want to go to keep up with us being tighter. And and that is what I think the market was largely responding to. Um, and then, you know, are, is the Fed perhaps going to go a little higher than people expect? I don't think they're going to. I think that they're, you know, very near the terminal rate. Uh, I think it'll it'll peak out somewhere around 5%. But um, the, the, that's an uncertainty that still has to linger. And at the end of the day, should those who make goods and services and those of us in the business community, should we really care if the Fed funds rate is 5% or four and three quarters? Right. No, we shouldn't. Right. But we have to right now because that's how investors are all aligned. So one of the things you said earlier, you know, that we, you know, obviously the last decade has been a great decade for the stock market. Well, especially after the big, you know, crash we had um, in in two thousand eight, but um, and then you said, well, we shouldn't expect another decade like that. But let me challenge you on that because, you know, I, when I got started in in the economics business in the early eighties, was right when the market really, you know, remember the Dow hit a low at what eight hundred or something like that, and then it just went it went on this incredible two decade long bull market until 2008. So why can't we have another bull market decade? Well, we certainly could have another bull market decade, but not at 16% per year. Because the fact of the matter is that 70%, Steve, 70% of the market's return after the financial crisis was multiple expansion, meaning valuations going higher as interest rates were being held down at 0%. So you can get revenue growth in a market economy, and you can get um, profit growth in a market economy. Now, we got it in spades in the market-friendly environment of the Reagan 80s and the Clinton 90s. Right, right. Um, But we cannot get that level of growth from a 17 times multiple. Right. When Reagan took office, we were at nine times. (laughs) Right, right, right. So the valuations are too high. And, and that's been created by the Fed. So uh, I, I would I want to make this contention and may, I want to see kind of how you react to it. Um, I've been saying that, you know, the big job right now of bringing inflation down from its current rate of 7.1 percent to the target that I think is the appropriate one of 2 percent, that that the Fed isn't really the main actor here, that we need to have government spending reductions. And we've, we've pumped $4 trillion of what I call uh, helicopter money into the economy. And I, I believe that that was the sort of match that lit this forest fire of you know, inflation that got as high as 9%. And I wonder what you think about that. How important is fiscal policy in terms of getting this inflation down? Well, unsurprisingly, we're very close to agreeing, but there is a little difference in in my point of view, a hundred percent agreement on the first part about the Fed. Um, I, as a matter of fact, if I'll promote my own investment writing, dividendcafe.com today, um, and through, you know, the, the, it's a weekly deal. So as everyone's hearing this, it's uh, available at dividendcafe.com. It's all about what the cause of our inflation was and therefore how we need to think about the remedy of the inflation. And I think that things with housing were definitely primed up by the Fed. And so some of the housing correction is going to be largely in the Fed's portfolio. But I don't think the Fed had anything to do with getting people back to work and getting mm-hmm. uh, trucks delivering products. You and I both heard Fred Smith 
talk about uh, Federal right. Express losing 41,000 workers that <laughs> handle packages. Right. That's not a Fed-related, that's not a monetary-related right. matter. Right. So I don't think that the Fed funds rate at 5% or 10% makes a bit of difference to supply-related issues. But when you bring up the Fed spending, and, and look, I'm, I'm, I try to be as nonpartisan as I can, right. even though I'm a movement conservative. Right. President Trump wanted that $2,000 spending thing, he did. too. Right. And, and he was wrong. Yeah. And by the way, just to, you know, we had a trillion dollar spending bill two months before Biden came into office. And then we had the deluge of additional spending on top of that. So you're quite right. And 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 so when they passed that, I thought this was silly. It was unnecessary. Larry Summers was screaming it would be inflationary. But my view is that what it would do is give a sugar high that people go out and spend it at their local bar and restaurant now that we were reopened. And then we'd go back to the same Japan-like characteristic of low velocity, and that money would sit uh, and, and uh, not be put to productive use. And that's exactly what has happened. And and I think that the fiscal side we need is not only we permanently need less spending, but we need less spending because we need a lower size of government right. so that we can have a bigger private sector to more efficiently allocate capital and to have a more productive economy. That's, to me, the biggest challenge we have is getting a more productive economy. Well, you're right that my, uh, great minds do think alike. I, I, I was uh, saying what a lot of what you were saying on uh, Kudlow's, Larry Kudlow's TV show this week where I said, you know, we need to shrink the government size and grow the private sector size. And, I, and my worry is that what we've seen is some crowding out of private investment and private activity by this big deluge of government spending. And we've been seeing it since the financial crisis, yes. which is why this inflation story has become kind of an interruption from the bigger narrative that is stuff like you and I have been thinking about talking about writing about for decades, government spending inevitably crowds out the private sector for the very simple mathematical reason that they don't have any money. <laughs> the only money they get is money they extract from the private sector. Now we have to have a government. There's some legitimate function for what they're going to spend money on, but every dollar they spend above and beyond their legitimate function is a dollar that comes from a productive use that could be inventing new medicines building new factories, innovating new technologies. That's where the money comes from to fund excess government. So by definition, it's an extraction from the private sector. And and I think you and I feel the exact same way about it. I'm talking to David Bonson, who's one of the financial experts in this country. Uh, He is the author of a great book um, called There's No Such Thing as a Free Lunch. And I love that book. And uh, before we take, can you stay over for one more segment, David? Do you have time? I'd be happy to. Okay, so before we take our break, uh, we've got about 90 seconds left. Um, are we headed to a recession? Is it inevitable that we're going to have a recession in 2023? Well, the, the answer is it is virtually inevitable. But what I won't do is say that if profits don't go down and, and job losses don't go up, that then say, well, yeah, we did have a recession. It was just one where people didn't lose jobs and profits didn't go down. Right, <laughs> okay, right. I mean, a recession is where job losses go up and profits go down. And if it doesn't happen, then we don't have a recession. But I think the yield curve is telling us as clear as could be. It doesn't tell us how severe of one we're going to have, 
But it is telling us we're going to have one, and that's sort of the big question mark in 2023. So this is a money show for our listeners. So just very quickly then, under that scenario, what do you then recommend uh, people do to prepare for that and protect their money? Well, the most likely scenario, in my opinion, and this is a little bit more bullish, and so people who like bearishness might be offended. (laughs) Steve, it's possible the market already priced it in. Right, right, right. It's entirely possible if you have a – I want people to think back to the 2002 recession during George W. Bush. The dot-com people got hammered. Uh, 9-11 was awful for everybody for a few months, but really – most people didn't even know we had a recession. It ended up being very thin and mild. That is a possibility here. I would not uh, say it's an assured outcome. Uh, the Fed is going to have to you know, put the brakes on here from this tightening pretty soon if that is going to be their soft landing scenario. But that's not an impossibility. Um, but it, you know, the, that's probably the most likely, given the fact that out of those Trump tax cuts, and, and out of the pre-COVID reality, we had a pretty healthy economy. There were not enough imbalances to create a major recession here unless, unless some really bad things So happen. now is not a time to sell. Now is not a time to sell, but it may be a good time to realign what you own. I I am always a big fan (laughs) of owning more high quality, uh, let's say, dividend type stocks versus, um, you know, more speculative stocks and and crypto and and new tech and other, you know, kind of more bubble fad type things. Okay, when we come back, David, I'd like to I want to talk to you about your book. And it's one of my favorite economic books. And I want you to tell us some stories uh, about that book and some of your favorite stories that are in that book. We'll be right back. This is Stephen Moore. This is The More Money Show. This is WABC Talk Radio. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is The More Money Show. Uh, I am talking to one of the top financial experts in the country, and David Bonson. And David, I want to shift gears if I could. Uh, I, tell us about what inspired you, you to write the book, uh, and, and you know how, some of the stories, and where did you get them, and what are what are the ones that important lessons in that book. Well, I, it's funny. I um, have kind of switched around some of my favorites uh, uh, in the aftermath of the book coming out because there are certain ones that on, on various days really hit home. I think the very title itself, No Free Lunch, and Milton Friedman's yep. you know, great reminder to us about economics being a story of trade-offs mm-hmm. and, and it being captured in that title. I love that lesson because I think that when we ignore or forget that economics is essentially about scarcity and how we allocate scarce resources. When we ignore that kind of grown-up reality, we start doing things like thinking we can just give everyone $2,000 out of nowhere or that we can do modern monetary theory and and have a central bank play the role of God. And and so the fact that there are trade-offs really humble us as economists and force us to remember that when it comes to allocating scarcity, you want people who have incentives and you want people who have knowledge making those decisions. And that's why I value an entrepreneurial uh, society and, and, and one in which you know people have a lot of risk and a lot of reward uh, in, in their own hands and not trying to use government to soften economic activity. So you're telling me that Jerome Powell is not God. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, Jerome Powell's not God, and, and that, that, that is not just because I don't like what he may do. I, there's no person. I love Judy Shelton, but I don't want Judy Shelton to be God either, right? I love you and Larry Kudlow and Steve Forbes, Art Laffer. I don't want any of them to be God. I want all of us to wake up and, and, and do what Ludwig von Mises, who's also heavily quoted in my book, what he talked about. I want humans to wake up and act. Because I think God made us with the capacity to act rationally, to act in our own self-interest, and at the same time to serve humanity. That When we get up and act in our own self-interest, we're making goods and services that enhance the quality of life for other people. I think that's a wonderful economic order, and it makes for great social cooperation as well. Well, I said that only half-jokingly because I do think that it, it's almost like a temple at the, uh, at the Federal Reserve. And they act as if they do have godlike powers, but they make all sorts. They're human. They make all sorts of mistakes. David, they've got, what, 300 Ph.D. economists over there, and they continue to to make mistakes. So you're right. They are not godlike. I mean, how can they remember last year they said inflation was was transitory? Well, and, and there's a long history of um, the Fed making mistakes on things. Right. And I always want to point out I'm not critical that they make a mistake. Because I think all people are going to make mistakes. I'm critical that we've asked them to do things that no one should be doing if right. they're prone to mistakes. I totally you know, agree. That we can set prices on the cost of capital ourselves. Uh, that's David Bonson. David, thank you so much for uh, joining us this afternoon. Get his book, No Free Lunch. Uh, we will be right back. This is WABC Talk Radio. It is The More Money Show. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. WABC. This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore. Well, welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been a fun hour. I learned a lot from David Bonson. I hope that you did as well. My message is we need Republicans to start acting like Republicans. Cut the budget. Don't increase it. Limit the size of government. The the only thing that is uh, inhibiting this country from being great again and great as it was under Donald J. Trump is that we have an obese government that needs to be reduced in size and scope and activity. And if Republicans will do that, I think we can avert a recession. I'm tired of all this recession talk for 2023. I think we can still skate around one, but it means we're going to have to have government pull in its stomach, tighten the belt. As my mom used to say, watch your P's and Q's. And if we do that, I think this country will be great again. I think we can grow this economy as we've had over the last 25 years, and we can blow away our competition. But we need Republicans to act like Republicans, advocates of the free enterprise system, which is the goose that lays the golden eggs. I'm Steve Moore. This is The More Money Show, and I'll talk to you all next week.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 